0: in its most basic form, simplest form, is this is a worship service where we worship uh, one God and three distinct persons, and uh, Jesus is the cornerstone to the God that we worship in his Trinitarian nature, uh, and he accomplished for us what we could not accomplish. So uh, we celebrate that his righteous life is credited to us. We celebrate that his death was paid, uh, in his, that the debt was paid for us in his death, and that he did what we could not earn uh, to be freely reconciled to God who dwells in all that perfections are uh, and in our wickedness, in our rebellion, in our glad belittlement of his name, he actually comes and does all that for us. So it's a ransoming work, it's a buying work, it's a it's a full work. Uh, and so uh, we've actually been taking a couple weeks talking about that work. Um, normally, what we do is we open up the scriptures and kind of go through books at a time, uh, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, so you can see the full counsel of what God might want to say to us. Uh, it is where we believe that uh, you got to read the whole thing to get the whole thing, right? So uh, you can just grab text and grab verses and just kind of place them wherever you want. But if you see the meaning of the story of redemption in its fullness, uh, all of a sudden the word of God becomes even more beautiful and profound in the way that God intended. And so uh, we worship Jesus by sitting under the preached word, the taught word. We also worship Jesus by singing songs like we just sang that talk about uh, who Jesus is and what he's done. We worship Jesus by being nourished by the Lord's Supper that he gave to us to remember the saving benefits of Christ and his work. We also worship Jesus by being generous, by giving. Uh, If this is your first time, we don't give by passing a plate, we give in the silver block. Black boxes on the wall. If it's your first time, if you're not our tender or a member, uh, regular tender, then we don't want your money. We want you to know the risen Christ. We want you to enjoy him and love him because he has been most generous to us in giving us himself. Uh, and so we just respond in that way as a people. Um, Let me just ask God for help. We always like to take just a moment uh, as we walk in here, all of us feeling different things, thinking different things, burdens, stresses, cares. Uh, If any of us are in any sort of nine to five, I know that your head is farthest thing from clear. Uh, It's probably super cloudy uh, with all the pressures and demands that might weigh on you. Uh, Maybe you strolled in this room and have uh, pressures from family or uh, expectations that are unmet. Or uh, maybe you're just in this space um, just seeking understanding, seeking to know, does God exist? If he does, what does that mean for me? Uh, I love that you've been joining us, you've been coming. Uh, and we wanna create a space where you can hear the truth, the unapologetic truth, but where we don't believe we have to fear it, we believe it'll do its own work. So uh, let's take a few minutes, just quiet our hearts, ask God for help, however you come in here, ask him for uh, help and understanding. We know the Holy Spirit of God is the only one that can give that to us, that, that praise God, Jesus says that we must have him as our helper, as our guider, as our instructor, as our illuminator, um, that actually gives us power, Lord, so uh, would you right now, even and do that for us as we sit under the word God a word that is perfect you call it your perfect law that really perfects us as we look at it would you do that God would you grant encouragement would you grant clarity to those this morning that need it would you alleviate burdens that are weighing on many God help us to find encouragement glad encouragement in your word this morning so we can walk as freer people in Christ more understanding the ways that you have made us for your glory. Do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, here's what we're doing. We're going through. Uh, if you're jumping in right now, you need to go back and kind of listen to the last four weeks. Um, outside of uh, we just wrapped up Ecclesiastes. We're now basically just taking about eight weeks together to look at who, what is the identity of this place? Um, what forms us? What shapes us? Now I, I say, and I want to keep saying it. Most people look at these things when you read them in a church as values. We see these as convictions. Differences, values are just something that you share together. Convictions are things that you'll sacrifice for. And so the things you've been hearing are things that that. Lord Lord willing, by, by God's grace, that he would keep these things as central to our life together. So we just talked about being gospel-driven. That's the fir- first identity of, of who we are. As we looked at the scriptures, we saw that that Paul ended this beautiful plea last week. This is of first importance. This is what we're shaped by, conformed by, sustained by, that if you do not have the good, glad work of Jesus Christ and all of his person and all of his work uh, reconciling sinners to a God, you have nothing. You have no engine, right? You can have a car with wipers and lights and blades and doors uh, and even Cute little things on it, and even a nice paint job. But if you don't have an engine, you can't go anywhere. There's no life to it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is our life. It is our engine. It drives us. And we took four weeks unpacking a little bit more fully, so we really understand what does this good news mean for us. Because you have to know there's really, really, really bad news. To know there's really, really, really good news. And so we saw that that God. We talked about Him dwelling in glory, in infinite perfections. That He exists in all that's perfect, all that's holy, all that's good, all His attributes. Are simultaneously consistent and in that good, glad, perfection God that that He dwells. And we see that actually we like to steal His glory for ourselves. We like to try to be our own God, call the shots, call out what is authority and what is not. And we see that God responds with hell, wildly unpopular. We talked about the doctrine of hell, how that is necessary for payment of sin. It's not even sufficient, but it is necessary. You can listen to that sermon. But then we praise God that He doesn't just respond with that, but He responds with Jesus having His son killed and taking hell for us, and we rejoiced in that. We celebrated God for that, and then we saw we don't just teach a death gospel, but a death and life gospel. You have to have the full gospel, death and resurrection, how the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates and ensures that we have all the great accomplishments of God in Christ for us, that we can walk in them. We can walk in victory. We can walk in um, glad joy with God because he rose again, and so um, that was a, a great four weeks together. Now, um, that is going to fuel the next one, which is we want to be a word-driven people. Uh, And here's why. If you want to know about this gospel, if you want to know about this Jesus that that saves us and sustains us, you need to know uh, what God says about that, Uh, and you have to go to the Word for that. I find it amazing how everybody has an opinion about God, and I always wonder why we believe what any human says is authoritative about God. I mean, God is infinite. God is outside the box. God stands outside of time, right? He not only sees the future, He is in the future, and so for us to think that being finite creatures made, that we can somehow kind of conjure up thoughts as to how God would think what God would say is crazy, and praise God that He's revealed Himself in creation, in Jesus, but also through his Word, His written word. And this is why we love the Bible. This is why we love the scriptures, because God has spoken. God has said something. God actually wants us to know him. Um, and so the word has to shape and form everything that we do together, right? The gospel is the engine that basically is in our car. And then the instructions, the, the guidance comes from this word that teaches us how we are to live and operate. And so uh, we believe that God has fully disclosed himself in the 66 books that are in the scriptures, the in, errant, fallible, authoritative Word of God. And this is why we spend about half of our time listening to somebody talk from the Bible. Uh, because we believe that we want to hear from God. We believe that God actually uses that through the avenue of preaching. And so uh, we love that we get to sit and hear from God. Now listen, I always say remember. Uh, I don't know what backgrounds you come from, but um, I am not perfect. I am declared righteous in Christ, but I will say things that are not always accurate or might be erroneous. So it's the job of yourself to get in the scriptures and go, hey, is, is what Pastor Mike's saying true? Is it valid? Is it what the scriptures say? To ask God to give the Holy Spirit of himself to you, to give you wisdom and illumination and help you navigate the things that you hear. Whenever you hear any teacher, know that the word is authoritative and fully sufficient. The man is not. And so we love that God helps us to hold on to all the things we should hold, to, hold on to and let go of the things that we should not hold on to. And that's our prayer every morning as we gather. And so we believe this book is not a word about God from human beings, but a word from human beings to God and about what God has said as he has given them the opinions and instructions to write it. We do not believe that this is human speculation in this book. We believe that this is divine revelation we're receiving. Uh, we don't believe this is our opinion about God, but rather God's disclosure of himself. It's very important to understand as we dive into the text. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at just a, one of the first things you'll see as you read the scriptures. And it's one of the things that should stand out. It should, it should shout at you. I think I've discussed this before, but but our God, the God of the Bible, the one true God is a God who actually speaks. Now some of you are going, well I don't know why that's such a big deal. That's a big deal because throughout history, actually especially Old Testament history, what you'll see is every pagan religion, every pagan god has a god that acts but never spoke. And so what sets the God of the Bible apart is that God actually speaks. He actually says something. Look at what he says as God goes after Israel for turning to these pagan gods who, who do not speak and are not real and should not be worshipped. Isaiah 41, he says this. Let them bring them and tell them what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us things to come. God's just going, okay, hey, uh, bring all the gods together and then I want them just to do one thing. Tell them to talk. Say something. Speak. Why? Because this is what sets me apart. I'm a God who speaks. The the intimacy in the garden with Adam and Eve, it was not so much that they were with God, but that they could speak with God. I mean, that's the fundamental betrayal of God from deception out of the serpent's mouth, right? Did God actually say that? He's always going after what God says, after His word, after His authoritative, sufficient word. And I love it. He, he says, uh, just tell me something that happened last night over dinner. Tell me anything. Or tell me something that's going to happen in the future. And what's the response? Dead silence. Nothing. Birds chirping. And then look at what he says. I, I see this as almost like sarcastic from God. Chapter 44, later, he says this. Uh, let me tell you who I am. Let me let you know, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, I know not any." I love it. God goes, uh, there's no God like me, and there will never be a God like me. Why? Because I say things. Because I declare things, and they happen. And he goes, and you guys were all witnesses of these things, right? He goes, go back to Genesis 1. How did I, how did I make everything out of nothing? I spoke. I said something. In the garden, Genesis 2, how did I make lifeless bodies have life? I spoke into their lungs. Um, let's go to when you were in slavery in Egypt. How did I deliver you, right? When I delivered you and said, this is how you are to be. This is how you are to function and act. This is who I am. I spoke Spoke and gave you the law. When you got to the temple period, you have um, all these ancient pagan gods. If you go in their temples, they had basically pictures of their gods in the temples. And what did God have His people put in it? But what He has said, it was in a, it was in the middle in the holy of holies, the law, the ten commandments. He always wanted His people to be surrounded by and formed by what He had said. Man, I'm a God who says things. I'm a God who speaks. I'm I'm a God who willingly discloses myself. That is amazing because he does not have to. And yet, our God does this. And then look at what God says in Deuteronomy 32. He says, take heart. He's given this charge to Israel. He says this, take heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law for it is no empty word for you but your very circle life. Your very life, the words of God are your very life. So from the Old Testament, when the people of God gathered around the word in Nehemiah 8, and Ezra is up, you know, kind of elevated pulpit, and as you have Jesus enter the scene in Luke 4, and we walk through the, the book of Luke, and, and he starts teaching and preaching what God has said. As you have you know, him enter human history, and, then, and later we see the, the verses in the book say that he's actually the word made flesh. We see that God has always ordered his people around his word for the word of God to drive them for the word of God to dictate their life. The word of God has always been the way God's people are shaped and formed, always. I mean, you, you remove this book, you remove everything. I mean, you, you got no direction, no clarity, no understanding, no, no semblance of, of how we get together and what we do, and what we should strive for and what God is like and how he has saved us and we have his word for all these things, so we're a word-driven people. Uh, now here's the thing. Um, it's authoritative because God's the one who's speaking. And that's why you've got to understand the Scripture's attest to itself. You'll see God attest to himself in the Scriptures over 3,000 times. You'll see the Lord says. In the New Testament, over 46 times, it is written as they're talking back to the Old Testament. Here's what they're doing. They're reminding us as they write that I'm not writing this, that, that God is writing this. That's what they're reminding us of. Listen, they wanted to fabricate stories and be droned for, for political power, they would have said, I think this, and we should do this, and they wouldn't make themselves look silly. They wouldn't include when they're naked. <laughs> what guy writes a testimony and, and wants to put in there how he was ashamed and naked running away from someone? Well, let's edit that out. God's like, no, nah, that needs to be in there. Dang it, right? I mean, that, that's, how, that's how God works. He says, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to have. Why would they celebrate their weakness? Why would they have women get first evidences and testimonies when they weren't even allowed to speak in the court of law? Why would they do anything? Because God was writing it. You could talk all day about the resurrection. I'm not going to spend time proving. That's not what this text, this sermon is for, but um, we see all the time that I say that the burden is much more on the critic than the Christian if you take an honest assessment of the scriptures. And so here we see that God attests to himself. And here's what's amazing. As it attests to itself itself, You've got this wild span of writers and authors. Because the Bible's written over 1,500 year time period, over 40 different authors, three continents with this synonymous storyline of Jesus being the center of the redemptive history of God. It's just amazing. You've got farmers and kings and peasants and, and paupers and tax collectors and fishermen. You've got all these different people writing inspired by one God and you've got a synonymous storyline. It's amazing. Why? Because God put it together for us to have. It's, it's a beautiful thing that we have the word of God. Now, anytime you talk about the authority of the Bible or, or that we're driven, I know that you get a lot of things said and, and you hear a lot of things. And, um, you know, one of the, the most uh, common ones uh, you'll hear is that the early church, right, when they were compiling books and you understand the canon being put together, that you've got like all these guys motivated by, by wealth and power and they want to just kind of take over things. The church is motivated by just having some influence and gaining in the government. And so uh, Constantine maybe in the fourth century just kind of took what books he wanted and he kind of formed them all. And then they have all this power and then the, the presence is unleashed of the church. The only problem is just read history, just read back and understand that in the first century, these books are compiled as authoritative by the apostles, by first century Christians. You can study Irenaeus, a great guy. He writes in the first century how they actually called these scriptures authoritative and inerrant. You know what's amazing about Irenaeus? Is that he's killed along with his whole church. Now, people say this was driven by political power. Well, then why would you have you, yourself, and your whole church killed? Because they wanted to protect the truth. they believe that it was compiled that way beautiful thing. And there's a lot of stuff like Gnosticism going around at the time, uh, which we don't have time to get into, but you can actually see Peter write about this in his letters if you read First and Second Peter. He talks about people that are, that are twisting the truths of God, twisting the scriptures, right? Uh, Gnosticism is very simply this belief that you can't really know God with any of your senses, and that uh, there's this great big God that makes these many gods. One Sophia, she's a virgin. She gives birth to Jehovah out of hatred and jealousy and anger. He creates the world and just says, suck it up, and you guys made a mess of this thing, and so figure it out. Find some mysterious place inside of you uh, to find salvation and freedom. And Peter's going, this stuff's nuts. I mean, Irenaeus himself is going and fighting against this in the first century. And so, so we see that, man, this, this is, people will say things all the time. I always say you don't have to fear history, right? You don't have to fear what people will dig up in archaeology, <laughs> Uh, There's a testimony I give often, I loved. I went to Israel, life transforming season for me, and I got to see all the history and and architecture and buildings, and as I was there, we had uh, this chance to go to Caesarea, and Caesarea is where Pontius Pilate's Stone was found with his name. Uh, like after 1940, and here's what's crazy. Uh, we had so many people throw in the talent Christianity because Pilate's name wasn't discovered. They're going, well, he's like the linchpin at the crucifixion of Jesus, so uh, if we can't find his name, this thing must be rubbish. I'm, rubbish? That's Scottish, but I might be part Scottish. So this thing's like... Bullish, right? This thing is just put it away. And, and here they have this, by the 1940s, finding a stone bigger than life that says Pontius Pilate. And all the people that threw in the towel like, oh man, I'm getting back on the wagon, right? I want to, okay, yeah, now, now I kind of believe this thing. Listen, you don't have to fear what's going to be dug up. And what happens if you're the person who says, wow, there's one artifact they haven't found, so this whole thing must be a waste? How silly is that? When God has reaffirmed himself over and over and over so we wanna stand firm on the authority of this book. Um, you'll also hear um, you know, a lot of things like there are books that should be in there and books that shouldn't be in there and this just goes back to the grid. Let me give you a grid of just kind of like five things as you think about your canon of the Bible. Uh, they'll be up on the screen. The, the first is just, uh, go to that next text, yeah. Uh, Apostolic witness, uh, this is, look, the only thing that's going in there is if the person walked with Jesus or was with somebody who directly walked with Jesus. Um, these are witnesses, right? Um, first century, everything has to be in the first century. Harmony with the Old Testament. If it doesn't harmonize the Old Testament and the whole plan of God through the prophets, through the commandments, then you're not going to have it in there. If you, it's got to be across all cultures, right? It's got to work everywhere. This is where you have right the, the Jewish people at the time, and Paul writes a lot of his letters to them saying, hey, hold on, you don't have to obey the dietary laws and, and circumcision and all these other things to be a Christian. Christ alone, faith alone is what saves you. It, that can work anywhere. Because it's faith in a God that saves all tribes, tongues, and people. It's not for a select tribe and tongue. And lastly, it's got to point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, every single book, that's why, listen, you just got to go read some of those erroneous books that people want to put in there, like the Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Those are all a lot of Gnostic Gospels that believe the things that I just said about Gnosticism. Uh, You will not see at all a clear pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ with his authenticity and all that he said. That's why we say all the time, man, no matter what you do, you got to get Christianity 101. The whole Bible points to Jesus. What's the Bible about? Jesus. Who's the center of the story? Jesus. Jesus will always be your answer, right? Jesus is the central figure, the central person, the central God, the central act that is the pinnacle, that is the height, that is the end of everything you're going to read. So you have to hold up every bit of what you read in your Bible and go, does that eventually point me to or get me in some way to Jesus? Because here That's where God wants to get you. He wants to get you in your sin, in your rebellion, in your wickedness, in the ways that you try to be God, even if you don't admit it, to a place where you can humble yourself and see the Savior who humbled himself and was the righteousness for you on your behalf. That's what we discussed for four weeks. He wants to drive you there so your heart is ignited with passion and love for his name and renowns. You can now walk in newness of life. You have to see Jesus. As you study your Bible, we always want to see how it ultimately gets us to Jesus. It's not just a book about rules and commandments and laws and how to find your wife and how to, you know, should I drink or not drink, and should I cuss or not cuss, or should I watch that TV show or not that TV show. Yeah, those things can, there's wisdom in there. There's commands in here that should be obeyed and gladly submitted to, but that's not the point of the scriptures. It's to show you that you can't keep anything in of yourselves, and there's only one who can. His name's Jesus Christ, so have him, and he'll transform you, and now you'll walk in the ways God has designed and wired you to live and be, and then we celebrate, right? We worship, we thank God for that, because that's the message that we're shaped and formed by. Okay, enough of that rant. Let's get into the own testimony of the Bible itself. going to give you just a couple of texts, just on the screen. You can write them down if you want to, uh, just where we see that the Bible says, hey, this is God's Word. This is what needs to drive you. This is what needs to shape you. Second Corinthians 3. This is what Paul writes to this church. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Isn't that a great text? Not human philosophy, not human ingenuity, not what you think or don't think. Full sufficiency, it's all from him. I love this, the writers are telling us this. Man, the whole Bible is claiming sufficiency for itself. It's not about our ideas. It's not about what we think the world should look like and be like. What has God laid out for us? And can we find ourselves in glad submission to that? When Jesus talked about this in John 17, a lot of you guys know this, he talks about, hey, this is how you're gonna become like me, right, when I go to the cross. This is before the cross, he says, hey, this is is what's gonna happen. He goes, sanctify them in the truth. John 17:17 17, 17, Your word is truth. That's amazing. I mean Jesus could have said anything. I mean, how are you going to grow into the likeness of Jesus? How are you going to be formed more in the image of Christ? You're going to do it through uh, Oprah books and Dr. Phil and maybe some sitcoms or maybe uh, this writing outside the text of scripture or this this new author or the Barnes Noble front section that says, "Hey, this is how you find a better you. Unlock the happiness code." Like, how are you going to be made more in the image of Jesus? Right there's a there's a plethora of things you can run to and he says you got to run to the Bible. You got to run to the scriptures. You got to go to that place. That place is going to make you more into the image of Jesus. That's going to give you all you need for instruction and understanding who God is and who you are. I share all the time of my crisis of faith when I had three months of locking myself in my dorm room and reading this Bible cover to cover, going, God, just reveal yourself to me. Not based on what a pastor says or a teacher says or a professor says. I want to know what you say. Help me. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about me? What do you say about life? What do you say about the way we're wired and shaped to live? Reveal that to me. And I love how Jesus says here, I want you guys to grow in the image of myself, how scriptures, the word, Acts 17, I love this one. It's almost like Luke is traveling around just looking for people who are, who are faithful. And, and he says he finds a group in this little town called Berea. As the church is growing and exploding, as as churches are getting planted, look at what he says in Luke 17. The saints in Berea, the small town, were the most noble of all the saints. Why were they noble? Because they received the word with readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. What a great statement. He goes, you want to know the most noble saints I could find? That's a loaded statement. And I think a lot of things that make you noble as a saint. By the way, if you're wondering saint, um, that's because Jesus Christ makes us righteous. We don't claim to be saints in of ourselves. We, we openly admit our sin and that Christ's blood covers that sin and adopts us into his family. So here he's going, those followers of Jesus, those, those Christians, he goes, the most noble were the ones, I love this, who received the word and searched it daily. Now here's the thing, like do many of us naturally go to this space, Right? with life issues, to believe the word of God is where you go for strength and endurance? I don't think many of us do. I think many of us chase sufficiency in ourselves or through experiences or through trying to claim and plead identities for ourselves. I think many of us try to find Strength and endurance and sufficiency other places and these saints in Berea are going to the word of God. I I say a lot, most most decide what they will believe not on what is actually true, but what they desire. Like almost everybody will form their thought, form what they will believe, not based on what is true, but on what they desire. Listen, that's why not everything in this book sits well with me. Like, and I just share that? I mean, is that allowed? I guess it is. I mean, we're, we're together in church, right? I mean, not everything I read in here just makes me feel fuzzy and good. And I mean, as I read parts of the, the character of God, and as I struggle through hard doctrines and hard realities, man, I'm not going, yeah, great, I desire that, so I'm going to believe that. But I, I, I believe this because it's the truth right? We, we decide what we're going to believe, not based on how you desire, how you feel about something, but first, is it sufficient? Is it authoritative? Is it God speaking? Does he have the final say it and all? And then, and then starting from that point going, okay, Lord, help me come under this, man. Help me grow in grace in this. Help me to understand this. Help me to, give me illumination, right? To help, help me wade through these difficult texts. I mean, is no one in here not found a difficult text, Okay, great. I mean, some of you are like, I got it. You should be preaching. Get up here right now, right? Like, like you got to be giving us food. Listen, there are texts. I want to give you the freedom to understand there are absolutely difficult, even maybe gut-wrenching texts in the Bible that God might have to grow you in grace over the years to learn and enjoy and to treasure. Please hear that. Talk to so many who, man, they, they come across one and, and someone just beats them over the head with their Bible and then they leave the church or leave Christianity. Listen, man, let, let's, let's, let's walk in that. Let's not ever go against the truth or say it's not there. Let's deal with it as there and let's walk in it. Let's ask God for help. Man, that's, that's what the church is for. As we grow in grace together, as we read the text of Scripture we want to be unashamed about what it says. This is why be so careful about following your heart. Right? I mean, I, I know it's, it's super, I just follow my heart. My heart was telling me to do that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the way that seems right to you in the end gets you killed. Well, that's not good. So, so I would not follow your heart. Like I would follow God's heart. Right? I mean, I would follow the scriptures. I would follow what God says because you're in here going, yeah, I know God says that, but man, my heart's saying mm, this, right? Okay, go do this. You got a fiery furnace over there waiting, just kindling itself, and you go off and get yourself killed. That's why God is so gracious and kind to us that he gives us his word for not instruction but hope and encouragement because he made us, that he's the creator, we're the created. Do we, do we see it that way? Second Peter, I love this one. This is like one of my favorites. Second Peter 1.3. Such a great verse. See this verse. Read this verse. To yourself. I mean, have you ever read the Bible before when, when you actually stop and go, man, God is saying something. Like this isn't just Peter telling you something. This is God himself telling you something. The God who's in infinite perfections, the God who sent Jesus willingly and had him take our hell for us and absorbed wrath and, and became our life and our sin and put it on his shoulders. I mean, this is God himself telling you these things. This is not your neighbor. This is not even your pastor. This is not some, you know, psychologist who says, hey, I got some good ideas for you. This is God himself saying these things. You want to walk in truth, be sanctified? Do it through the word. You want me to tell you about noble saints? Yeah, let me tell you about them. They search the scriptures daily. And look at this one. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, that's always key, anytime you see the word through, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What a statement. From God through Peter. Now, the first time I read this text, honestly, I remember thinking to myself, do I believe that? So I remember thinking, as I was reflecting and reading through this verse, we receive divine power. He tells you how. Through the knowledge of him and the great promises he's told you. He calls them precious and great. That, that's very key. So where do you find his promises? Where do you find knowledge of God? In his word. That's the divine power he has given you, according to Peter here. We come to know him as he reveals himself in his word. You know, as, you're, as you read your Bible, you're actually cashing the chips in on divine resources. And he says that pertains to all life and godliness, like, like how to live a godly life. How, how do I know what God is like? How do I know what, how he's asked me to operate? How do I know about his personal work? How do I know how I'm redeemed? How do I know what I should look like once I'm redeemed? How I should know how to view the world? How should I review, uh, understand creation? How should I understand history? How should I understand the future? How? He says here, he's giving you divine power to cash in on these resources, to understand these things and walk in them. His precious and great promises. So the question is, if you are not living a life that is honoring to his name, sensing his spirit, whose fault is that? That's right, your wife. No, not your wife, right? Like, or your husband, right? I say that because we blame, right? Well, it's the guy who's supposed to hold me accountable, man. I can't believe he didn't call me on Tuesday, Right? Or it's my pastor's fault, man. He never taught me that text. He didn't tell me about that. Or hey, it's my, it's my parent's fault or it's my kid's fault or we just blame it. It's my spouse, my wife. She would only do this, man. Then I could live a godly life. No, he says his divine power is giving you all that you need right in your lap in the 66 books of scripture to walk a life for all godliness, for fulfillment in his name, to know what's right, to know what's wrong, to know how to be protected, to know how to live and operate in your marriage, with your kids, with your family, and work, right? How to understand God his nature and character, how to understand you in the nature of sin, how to understand his redemption in the cross, how to understand his resurrection, how to live until the end of all times, how to pray, how to study the Bible together, what's important as a church gathers. He goes, no, I've given that all to you. And what's so interesting is so often we will constantly blame other people. And Peter's going, no, divine power is giving to you through knowing his, the knowledge of him and knowing his great precious promises, and we all have access to it. Oh, we have access to it. That's why those Bibles in the back, I love seeing them get smaller in the stack because you're taking them. I want you to read them. I want you to have help in reading them. That's why we love growth groups because there are people getting together, figure, learning from others, how do I study? There are people in discipleship happening throughout this church and getting coffee and older dads and older moms and older saints helping younger ones understand, how do I look at this book? How do I understand what God has says, would you grow with me in grace? It's a beautiful thing to see. That's why one of my greatest concerns is over time, God's promises will get boring to you. Right? The, 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 old new, the good news becomes old news. I mean, there might be promises and you might say, Mike, I don't even know what his promises are. Then, then please email us. Talk to a saint that you know who has a good grasp of his Bible and let, let's share those with you. Let's tell you where to find Him. Because God has said a lot his promises are great. They're what keep us and give us divine power. Is knowing what he has said and that he is fully authoritative to hold up his end of the bargain. That he keeps his promises not because of you. There's no contract with you and God. This happens all the time in our, in our gospel presentations, right? That we think intuitively and somehow subconsciously that, that God is somehow saying that, okay, I'm gonna save you, love you, rescue you, but here, uh, then we say, but here, God, here's what you have to do. And if you do this, then I'll hold up my end of the bargain, and then I'll love you, then I'll attend church, then I'll give, then I'll pray. Now God says, you get rescued based upon none of you. It's the covenant I keep with you. It's solely my doing. It's one way. It's the beauty of God's covenant with us. Last one, 2 Timothy 3. If you've grown up in church, you probably know this one. Actually, before that, I skipped one. That's even better. Not better, but good. They're all good. Uh, it's the Bible. It's all good. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, I love this one. This one standing out, stand out to me, too. Look at what uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Look what he thanks God for. Um, constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Now, you could just skim over that text. You could just breeze over that verse and be like, well, Wow, I mean, how do you receive it? That's what I was getting back to. When you hear a sermon, when you read the Bible, are you receiving it as a word from men or a word from God himself? Oh, that's awesome. He goes, man, this is what I thank God for, man, that when you guys hear the word, you're going, God's speaking, God's saying something. This is like back in Ezekiel where the people hear him speak and the response is, man, God just spoke. I gotta do something. I'm not spending all my time just sitting around going, hmm, was that word really in the Greek or Hebrew? No, no, God spoke, God said something. Let's deal with that, but let's first go, what is he telling in my heart? Where is he prompting me towards walking in, in greater glad enjoyment with him? Where do I need to reorient? Where do I need to take on a stock of my soul? Where do I need to look in the spaces that God is unveiling to me? Right? I mean, he's, so I love this. They received the word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. This is fundamentally the reason why culture is insane and why we get off the rails, because we stop receiving it as the word of God, right? We start making excuses and justifications for, well, it's really the word of man. God didn't really mean that. didn't really say that. And he says, I love this. They receive it as the word of God, not the word of man. This is necessary. And then he adds this. Look, which is at work in you who believe? It literally performs a work in you. This is why, I know it might sound obvious, when you go to a growth group or you sit down with another fellow saint or you get with someone that loves the Bible and imparts to you wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit or you come to a gathering like this, you sit under the teaching of God's word, that's why you feel strengthened. That's why at times you feel encouraged. That's why at times you feel convicted and compelled. That's why at times you feel illuminated. That's why these things happen because God has designed it to be at work in us who believe because it's the word from God. That's amazing, right? I don't know how many of us have even stopped to realize that God's doing a work, that God's active in us through his word, through all these avenues, unbeknownst to us. That's what God promises it'll do. Last one, 2 Timothy 3, one of my favorites. Paul tells a young pastor this, a guy named Timothy. He says this, he says, but as for you, continue what you've learned, Timothy, and have firmly believed. He's encouraging him. Knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is a great, we're imparting to our kids the truth, praying that God would take our kindling and light it. Which are able, which are able. Okay, so far, what has he talked about? Bestsellers? Your friends? Your pastor? No, no, just the Bible, sacred writings. What are they able to do? Make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh my goodness, what what a full statement. The word of God is fully sufficient in every realm, in every place, to make you wise for salvation and profitable for every aspect of the Christian life, equipping you fully How do we know how we're supposed to respond to God? The Bible. How do I know how he does this work of regeneration? The Bible. How do I know what I'm supposed to think about other brothers and sisters in the church? The Bible. How do I know what I'm supposed to understand about his return? The Bible. How do I know what I'm supposed to understand about how things were made? The Bible. How am I supposed to understand origins in the Bible? How am I supposed to understand how I'm supposed to feel towards certain things and respond in certain ways? in The Bible. How am I supposed to understand my mind and my heart, my will and my emotions? In the Bible. How am I supposed to understand culture? How am I supposed to understand gender? How am I supposed to understand marriage? How am I supposed to understand parenting? How am I to, you can? The Bible, right? But all of that builds itself up to the hero who is Jesus Christ, right? So you got all that building its way up to where you meet. Jesus Christ, John 1, we've seen the glory of the Father in the glory of the Son. He's the word, spoken word, made flesh, dwells among us. The incarnation of God himself is the word, Jesus Christ, who in a minute I'm going to tell you speaks a better word, Hebrew says, than even the blood of Abel. Amazing, amazing that we have a Bible that does all of this. This is why at Church at Bergen we usually preach expository sermons. That's why it's just the primary diet because we want us to be fed by the whole counsel of God as best we're able. That's why you're gonna hear verses preached and texts preached that probably the world would say we're narrow-minded or probably say you should excuse that or that's not really in there. Man, we just wanna lay it before you as Augustine said. Truth is like a line. Let it loose. Doesn't need to defend itself. That's our hope. From day one, if you've been here, you know that. We've been committed to just teaching the truth of God, letting the chips fall, and praise God in his grace. He's been working profoundly in kind ways through us being formed by this book. So we don't believe here, friends, that we have to fear the truth. Truth will do its own work. You don't have to defend it. In the sense of feeling like, you have to find every reason to answer everyone's objections We trust God to do what he has said he would do. Let me land the plane with this. This is why the word of God is such good news. It's good news because the entire message of this, as I've said, points us to Jesus. Who is the word made flesh? Look at these two texts. John 1, this is what John says to Greek philosophers. they're trying to figure out meaning and, and understanding. He says in the beginning was the word. He's talking about beginning. Beginning. So I don't know if you knew that, but when God made the world, you'll see the Trinitarian God is there, present, and Jesus is active in the creation of all things. So in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It's great, we've got just the deity of Jesus there. And then verse 14, And this Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And you've got Hebrews 1, 1 to 200. You see both of these as we wrap up. This puts it this way. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It's Old Testament, right? Proclaiming the future Christ that would come. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by who? He's spoken to us by Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus, The center of the gospel is Jesus. The center of the Bible is Jesus. The center of our discipleship is Jesus. The center of our mission is Jesus. You take Jesus out of anything, you have nothing. You have nothing in the scriptures. You have no gospel. You have no word. You have no discipleship. You have no mission. You have nothing if you take Jesus out of it. Jesus is the engine to all those things. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the center by which everything else fans out. I, I know there's a lot of different, even wild thoughts in this room. and we've, we've talked in great length, but you have to see that to get anything. You have to understand that to begin to see the beauty of Jesus in anything that you have. And so this is really, really good news because the bible says he is the word that became flesh that speaks to every last issue in our life he speaks to your pride he speaks to your sin speaks to your shame speaks to your guilt speaks to your inadequacy speaks to your identity speaks to your longing speaks to your affections he speaks to Every part of you that's trying to get to that place that can't get to, where the ceiling keeps getting lower and you keep getting more frustrated, when you meet the risen Christ, when he regenerates your heart, the ceiling's removed, and you have freedom, you enjoy him, you worship Him, and life all of a sudden begins to taste like God intended it to taste. It is, begins to be seen the way God intended it to be seen, and your heart, not knowing why it's doing it, goes, "Yes, I was made for this, I was wired for this." This is my, This is the image of God in me. I was destined for eternity. Ecclesiastes, we learned this, and he put it in all of our hearts. We are all longing to get to the garden that we all got kicked out of, whether you want to admit it or not, and Christ alone gets you back in the future kingdom in the garden with him as he will speak to us and fellowship with us for eons upon eons. That's good news, right? So this is why the word of God is such good news to us. Because the word that we want to hear became flesh in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why, if you go to Hebrews 12, it's beautiful. It says that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now just quickly, Cain and Abel, even if you're not grown up in church, probably heard that story, right? Both brought sacrifices to, uh, this is I think Genesis 4, both brought sacrifices to God. And God received Abel's but not Cain's. So Cain takes him out of the field and kills him. And his blood is pleading out for justice because he's innocent. And the sense of his offering was clean and pure. And Jesus comes along and where Abel's blood pleads out for justice, Jesus' blood pleads out for mercy over sinners. Isn't that beautiful? That he speaks to us in his gospel. He tells us a better word. He lets us know these things. This is why, guys, God loves to save those who seem so unsavable. That's why this book is such good news. That's why the Bible's so good to us. Because if all of us had been saved by the gospel just unpacked for four weeks, we realized that we were all quote-unquote unsavable. No matter where your deeds were on the scale. God loves that. He, he loves to do this. I mean, if you just read the Bible, I say this all the time, read the family line of Jesus. You think your family line's jacked up? You won't find one person who's not a hot mess. Seriously, I mean, the father of the faith, Abraham, right? I mean, he takes his own wife before the king and says, hey, she's my sister. Go sleep with her because he doesn't want to be found out. You got Moses who just argues with God, no, I can't really speak right. I'm telling you to do this, Moses. No, I don't think I can. Self-pity, right? You resonate. The guy who was bleeding God's people out of slavery. David, right? Man after God's heart. Don't need to say more. You know, he's a lying, cheating, murderous adulterer. I mean, just you could just keep giving him uh, words to describe him, right? Yet he somehow found grace in God. I mean, you could list it out forever. You will be hard-pressed to find someone in the Bible who had it together, who was clean. You got Paul, the one who wrote you know, predominant New Testament, right? And he's going, hey, I used to kill Christians. I used to enjoy that. It used to give me gladness in my heart to actually see the work of Christ pushed back instead of advanced, and then he sees the resurrection, and he's going, I want that. I'm a part of that. Now, I'll be the most persecuted man on the planet for this thing. You'll have a hard time seeing this, and that's why, listen, I say all the time, listen, self-pity and self-righteousness are both equally cross-belittling and cross-mocking. The person who says, I'm fully sufficient, I don't need Jesus, look at my works, look at my deeds, is just as damning as the person who says, you can't save me, I'm outside of your grace. Both belittle him because the scriptures tell you, hey, when did he die for you? Before you were born. With full foreknowledge of what you would do. Knowing every wicked fantasy you'd think in your mind. Knowing every last time you'd be tempted to cheat, steal, lie, and dishonor his name. Knowing every time you would want so badly to sit on the throne and tell everybody else what to do. He knew every time you would sit under his rule and reign as his created creature and want to usurp his authority and say, no, you haven't said this, you haven't said this. This is how Mike Reed believes the world should work and be wired. And he graciously, Romans to his kindness has led you. To repentance, but for some it has not. Do you see him as good and saving? That's what we want. I want you to know that's what this whole book teaches. That's why we're driven by the word. That's why we're word driven, because it's good news for sinners. It's only good news if you realize you're a sinner in here. If you realize you're a hot mess outside of the grace of Christ. Like if, if you're not, if things are pretty good, you're, you're weighing on your academia, you're weighing on your lineage, you're weighing on your family history, you're weighing on what you've been brought up in. I've been brought up in the church, so I'm good. Man, none of those things are gonna hold up in the day of judgment. God ain't gonna look at you and say, oh man, your mom was a Christian, your dad was a Christian. No, are you a Christian? Have you submitted yourself to my name? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you see me as good, saving, righteous king, judge, authority? What do you think? we saw that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. And this is why, guys, this is such good news to us. This is why we have to be formed and shaped and informed by this word. And guys, this is why every time, if you just look at history, watch the landscape, every time someone has said, this isn't really relevant, let's tweak it, change it, edit it, they rang the death bell. And people are being saved to something else. And people are being saved to a Gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're being saved to a Jesus that accommodates them in every way yet does not call them to any sort of new life which he does through his own power and will and spirit. They're called to a Jesus who wants nothing from them. No self-denial, no picking up their cross, no stay just as you are. How is that good news? The good news is not that you're tweaked. The good news is that you're made new. Like you're a new creation. You're literally torn apart and remade. He says we're new creations in Christ. So listen, guys. This is why the word of God is sufficient to save, and this is why we know all we need to do is share it, and God will draw. That's God's business. As missionaries, we share it, pleading, mourning, crying, longing, but then it's God's job. That's why some of you guys, despite the fact that half of what I say offends you, you keep coming back. Just That's God drawing you. I'm telling you. You're wondering. You've told me it. Wrote me emails. That's why you're back here right now today. Because that's God's kindness. That's God testifying to your heart there is something true. Truth does not need help. And this is why we're going to try as best we're able to teach the text, all texts of the Bible, to grow us in the likeness of Jesus. It says all scriptures breathe out by God. All of it's profitable. Will God help us in that way? And listen, my hope is not that you would feel like, man, I just gotta read my Bible, I feel so guilty, it's on my shelf, it's gathering dust, I don't know how to do it. I Listen, first, I just, we just want you to see God as saving, as awesome, as lovely, as merciful, as kind. We want you to see that this word testifies to him. We want you to be grounded in its authority and its sufficiency, and then we wanna to walk together towards that end. Together as a family of faith. Let's ask God for help in this way, that we be word-driven people. Uh, Lord, I first just want to ask that you would give my brothers and sisters and friends in this room who might not know you yet an opportunity, Lord, to respond to the truth that they've heard. God, we pray first that that your church, the Church of Jesus Christ, even expanding outside of Church at Bergen, God, the Church Universal would be built upon the written word of God and all its authority and all its sufficiency in all its perfection. God, would you course correct us, not by just our own opinions. Would you course correct us by the word of God? God, would you help it to taste sweet like honey, David says? Would you help us to see in Christ the law no longer terrifies but tastes sweet? That we love your commands, they're not burdensome because we do not obey you to earn you. We obey you because we love you. God, thank you for free grace that is not cheap, but is free. I thank you that you call us into greater glories into newness of life. God, I pray you'd help some this morning that maybe have been avoiding or justifying certain texts in the Bible for their sin. That God, you'd bring them to a place of repentance and confession where they can love you more fully and enjoy you more holy. Father, I pray that you would continue to regenerate, to save, to transform, to make new creations in Christ based upon people hearing and knowing the word of God. Would you help us to be informed by this? If you're in this room and, and you're hearing about this God who is perfect in all that he is, and that a debt has to be paid, and that hell is due and right, and that Jesus comes and dies the death for you and pays the debt in your place as your substitute in your stead and offers to give you righteousness that cannot be earned. A God not who says ascend to me but descended to you in the work of his son. Who rose again from the grave, defeating death, validating his authority, gives us his word. You can repent of sin. That simply means turn from sin and turn to Jesus as your Soul, help. Trust him this morning. Embrace him, cherish him, treasure him as God, as king, as Messiah, as rescuer, as savior, as forgiver. Ask him to help you to love him with your whole heart. Ask him to open your eyes to his beauty. God, would you help us as a people to be a people shaped and formed by the word? Help us to have patience in that to have grace in that, to have strength in that, especially as culture increases in hostility. Would you help us to stand firm, immovable? Would you help us to count the cost? Would you help us to love truth, help us to hate sin? Grow us in grace, in Jesus' name, amen.